Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado Talks for episode 46 of the podcast, and it should be a good one. We've got a whole passel of new games of interest, two top tens to revisit, and as always, Jen will join me for some insightful questions and some quite all-over-the-place answers. And uh, as always, folks... Send more questions. The list was actually a little short this month, um, which is okay because there were so many games to talk about. But questions to questions at rotto.com are always appreciated. You are the fuel that keeps this podcast running, everybody. So hit me. Hit me hard for either uh, personal or game-related stuff. And um, one other announcement. Hey, maybe uh, Jen and I will get to hang out and play a game with you in the next few days. It's Tuesday when I'm filming this, and tomorrow we're getting on a plane to fly down to Vegas, baby, to go to the first inaugural Dice Tower West convention. Jen and I will both be there, and she'll be selling her wares. I'll be playing some games, so if you're in the neighborhood, stop by and say hi. And uh, enough, folks, because i got to get the rest of this thing recorded, because I haven't even packed yet. So, hang on. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, as always, there are a bunch of new games and expansions that are worth talking about, so let's jump right into it, starting with Euphoria, Ignorance is Bliss, and I've actually done a run-through for this already, and so you can check that out. I'm sorry, not a run-through, a run-down, where I talked about what was added, and i got to say, this is a fantastic expansion that really improves Euphoria as a two-player experience significantly because it introduces probably the best-designed automa, you know, automatic player or automated player system that I've seen so far. Really clever and elegant. Check out the rundown to see how it works. But yeah, I am very, very happy to have this, and it's really kind of reinvigorated Euphoria for us. Then there is Foothills which is basically a two-player-only version of Snowdonia. I don't know what that means at all. Uh, Snowdonia is already a fantastic two-player game, but presumably this is going to take, you know, kind of the core feel of the game and introduce new kind of dueling mechanisms. I don't really know. Uh, Tony Boydell, the original Snowdonia designer, is teamed up with a brand-new first-time designer, and I'm curious to see what it is, because still, to this day, Snowdonia is one of my ten highest ranked or you know uh, worker worker placement games so uh, a, a new offshoot of it called foothills is definitely interesting to me then there is actually um two games are really kind of three games uh, all uh, bundled up together i have already done a run through years ago for jaipur which is often regarded, rightfully so, as one of the best couples card games out there. Uh, you know, Jaipur is absolutely fantastic. So, it is now getting a reprint with new art. I don't know if anything about the game is changing, but to coincide with this re-release, two sister products are coming out as well from different designers, but I guess kind of set in the same 
you know, Arabic marketplace setting. One of them is Angkor, and the other is Jodhpur. I don't really know much about them, other than the fact that Jodhpur has art from Vincent Dutre, so yes, please. But considering how great Jaipur was, I mean, uh, you know, these other two, well, I'm interested just by association. So, it'll be interesting to see what that's all about. Then we've got Menestrels. And this is a new game from Bruno Fiduti, who has you know, done a lot of very well-respected designs over the years. Probably his best-known game is Citadels. He's a very, very sharp uh, you know, and well-respected designer. Uh, so, him working on this is interesting. It's also got art from uh, Dave Cochard, who is probably one of the best artists working in board games today, but he doesn't get anywhere near as much love and attention as some of the other artists out there do. Uh, you know, His work on Dungeon Pets and Dungeon Lords is still some of the best the industry has ever seen. So, a whole new card game with art from him that looks really fantastic from what's shown so far. That's a really big deal. But what really attracts me about this game is... Bruno's co-designer, who is a real-world medieval scholar, and apparently is, has brought the idea to Bruno, and the game really tracks closely to the historic rea- reality of traveling troubadours of minstrels trying to you know make their living. So that's a lot of stuff coming together to make Minstrels a very interesting title indeed. Then we've got Bloom. And now this is basically a reprint of a nice little roll and ride I did a run down for a few months ago called Bouquet. And I think, as far as I know, it's the exact same game, but it's gotten completely new art. And I haven't seen the new art, but from what I can see of the cover, it looks really nice. And, um... Yeah, Bouquet was really, really cool. You can check out my rundown to see why. I'm glad to see it's going to be getting a wider release and more people will be able to get their hands on it. Then we've got Project Elite, the Zombie Side Invader crossover set. This is really insane. I, I guess it must have been well known this was coming because it was part of the Kickstarter campaign for Project Elite. And I don't know if it's even going to be available uh, for people other than those who backed on Kickstarter. So maybe I shouldn't be pulling it out or calling it out. But I'm still really keen on this anyway because what it is is an opportunity to bring characters from one of the Zombie Side games. I'm not sure which one. Zombie Side Invaders, I guess. Uh, to bring the enemies, the zombie monsters from that, into Project Elite and uh, you know convert all those minis and all their gameplay. I love that idea. And for zombie side fans, you can bring all the really cool aliens from Project Elite and bring them into the zombie side system. That is such a cool idea. I don't care about zombie side at all, but I know it's really well loved and its minis are very, very cool. So more Project Elite, that's very neat to me. Then we've got Sushi Roll. I have to admit, I have never played Sushi Go, but I know it is an incredibly popular and well-loved card drafting game. Um, and so, while it's always seemed a little bit too simplistic uh, to, to draw Jensen my attention, I'll be honest, you take out the cards and you add dice, turn Sushi Go into Sushi Roll? Yeah, okay, I'm intrigued. Uh, mostly just because the original is so well-loved. So I expect this will be a really sharp game, too. I have to admit, I'm not really interested in the subject matter at all. I'm not a big fan of sushi, but it's probably worth checking out Sushi Roll. Then there is The Captain is Dead, Dangerous Planet. And 
Jen, I really love The Captain is Dead. A great ode and homage to Star Trek. Really kind of captures the feel of uh, players, you know, being members of the crew of the uh, Enterprise, trying to fight off, you know, attacking enemy ships and deal with all kinds of onboard disasters and catastrophes. We weren't that keen on the first expansion, Captain is Dead Lockdown. We're afraid it kind of took away and literally locked down too many of the core gameplay mechanisms that made us love the original game. But now there's a third expansion coming out. And yeah, I I guess we love the first so much that the second hasn't turned us off from trying the third, Dangerous Planet, where finally the crew gets to beam down to the surface. So that's really, really cool. And I, I hope... I love the idea of the, you know some kind of little mini campaign connection. You know, you, you play through a game of Captain is Dead. In you, if you win, you then you'll get to go and beam down to a planet and play Dangerous Planet. And you know, I'm not saying they're doing anything like this, but I could certainly see them doing it, and that'd be really really awesome. But still, Captain is Dead is very neat. I love the art presentation style, so I'm really keen as a longtime Star Trek fan on checking out the Captain is Dead Dangerous Planet. Then. There is Pursuit of Happiness Experiences, the second expansion for Pursuit of Happiness, and it's on Kickstarter right now. When I discovered, oh my gosh, this is coming on Kickstarter, I very quickly busted out uh, Pursuit of Happiness with the first expansion, Community, got that played, and it reminded us why we love Pursuit of Happiness so much, so I just want more, more, more. Um, you know, And this one, this big addition of um, lifelong dreams that you want to make happen sound very cool and a neat twist on the core gameplay mechanisms of Pursuit of Happiness. Then, this is another one that I guess maybe they're not available. I'm not really sure. I think they were part of a Kickstarter campaign. I just kind of missed it. So maybe they'll be available, maybe not. But Welcome To, which is a really cool roll and write, except you don't roll dice, you flip cards. So a flip and write, I guess is maybe what people are starting to call them. Welcome To is neat. And when it went on Kickstarter, a whole bunch of really kind of oddball variant boards to play on were added. Uh, One of them is about ice cream trucks. One of them is about zombies. uh, One's about viral outbreaks. One's about Halloween. A bunch of them, which just adds so much replayability to the core game. I'm hoping they're going to be available for people who have, like me, just the original version of Welcome 2. And they're not necessarily tied to all the other stuff. But um, I'm really not quite sure. So I guess time will tell. But they looked really, really neat. Then, another expansion, the Quest for El Dorado, the Golden Temple. Oh, wait, no, no, this one's not an expansion. This is a sequel to the Quest for El Dorado, which was an excellent deck-building game from Reiner Knizia about racing through the, the, you know, the... The South American Jungles to find El Dorado. In this sequel, we actually now go in and explore El Dorado itself. And what I was talking about before, where I hope with The Captain is Dead, there's like overlap between the first one and the third one. You finish the first game and that informs what what happens in the next game because it's a natural continuation of the story. Apparently they're doing that with Golden Temples. Apparently you can combine the games and turn it into one big Uber game. We race through the jungle and then we race through the temple itself. Neat! Very excited about that. Then, I've already talked uh, last month about uh, the new Time Stories blue box series that's coming. Another one has already been announced. Time Stories Mid- uh, Midsummer Night. So this is more 
A 2.0 time stories where each module is now a standalone. They're not things that plug into the original core game. I'm expecting that's going to make them feel a little bit less like time stories, a little bit more like maybe escape room style games. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Everybody's curious to find out what this evolution of time stories is going to be. And we now know another title, A Midsummer Night, which of course is going to have overtures to you know Shakespeare's famous play. Alrighty, then we've got Deadly Doodles. And I have to admit, I'm never really one to go for games from Steve Jackson games. You know, the, the fluxes out there and all of that. But I read the description for this, and it sounds like a really cool little roll and write that's kind of a cross between the gameplay of Railroad Inc. and Avenue, but with a dungeon crawl theme. That's awesome! Because I love Railroad Inc., and I love Avenue, and I love fantasy dungeon crawls. So this could be a really cool thing. Can't wait to see how it comes together. And then after that, we've got New Dale, which is a sequel to Oh My Goods, and it continues the storyline from first Tybor the Builder and then Oh My Goods. And so now that same, it's not a fantasy universe, but it is a you know, a, a kind of make-believe uh, universe has been expanded hugely because this is like a big box game. This is not just a tiny little card game um, that continues to you know uh, tell the expanding story. So much so that this one actually comes with a big old you know storybook like above and below or near and far or um oh I can't think of it uh, this war of mine. This is a first for designer Alex Pfister. And so that, that right in and of itself right there is very, very interesting because he has been very subtly working narrative into Euro game designs. Now he's going all out on a big narrative Euro. Which is something we've never really had. Um, you know, I mean, again, you know, the some of them are kind of like that, but really the uh, most of the games out there are kind of more adventure games. If Newdale continues on Oh My Goods, and is more of an economic simulation Euro, but one that has a whole storybook that layers through game after game, count me interested. This is a big, big deal. So I am very, very excited for New Dale. Then after that, we've got Darwinots. And I've already been told I will be getting a prototype of this so I can do a preview for it when it goes on Kickstarter next month, I think. It's got Vincent Trade art, so it's going to be gorgeous. It's from Chris Bryant, who I think this is going to be his second design. I haven't tried his first one, but I'll just be honest. Chris Bryant is a really sweet guy. I've spent a fair bit of time talking to him about his YouTube board game show, uh, Board... Uh, bored with life, yeah, bored with life, not bored to death, but bored with life. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what he's come up with. I know it's going to be gorgeous, and it's basically a Carcassonne-esque tile lane game crossed with a worker placement game. That is intriguing. So, Darwinots, can't wait to give it a go. And uh, after that, we've got Kingdom Rush. Rift in Time. Now, apparently, Kingdom Rush is a very, very popular mobile app video game. I don't know anything about it. I don't really care anything about it. I guess it's some kind of tower defense game. Um, I'm interested because the board game implementation of it is a co-op Tetris piece tile land game. And considering how good the recent spate of competitive Tetris piece tile lane games have been. They've been coming out over the last few years. A co-op one is very, very, very intriguing to me. So, I am all about 
uh, Kingdom Rush, Rift in Time. Then we've got Atelier, the Painter's Studio, which uh, this one's a bit of a gamble. It doesn't really have a known developer or designer or artist or publisher necessarily. Actually, that's not true. It's getting published by AEG. But still, uh, you know, there, there's there, there's very little information about it. I mean, AEG, I'm generally pretty happy with the games they put out, so that's nice. But really, why I what's bumped this up to garner my interest is the fact that the description of it sounds a lot like a dice version of fresco living the life of a renaissance era painter you know you know trying to do frescoes and all that stuff while you know taking care of yourself fresco the dice game i would be all over that well i'm sure that's not what it is it sounds like it it feels like it from the description so i'm definitely there for the painter studio then there is Cooper Island. Now, this is from one of the designers of Solaris and Lagranja. That's it. That's good enough for me. I don't know what it's about. Uh, and I, I certainly couldn't tell you from the description that's on Board Game Geek that is completely um, content-free. All I can tell you is the title. Actually, you know what? I, I put this on a week ago. Let's see if they've actually changed this description to give us any kind of idea what Cooper Island is about. Let's just see. Um, you know, Andreas Odenhall, you know, again, his designs are great, so I'm interested. But it's a tile placement, worker placement game. And, oh man, this is ridiculous. The special thing about Cooper Island is the way players mark their victory points. They take small ship markers around the island and show their progress. On the way around the island, they find smaller islands inshore that grant valuable benefits. That is their sales pitch? That is a terrible sales pitch. I want to take them at their word that that's something special, but it doesn't sound special. But still, the designer is what's pulling me in here for Cooper Island, not the description at all. Then after that, we've got Quirky Circuits. And this is from designer Nikki Valens, who uh, really kind of stood out and got a lot of attention during her brief stint as a designer at um, Fancy Flight Games, which was, I just noticed in my description, I said Final Flight. I need to edit and update this, because it's Fantasy Flight. Everybody knows that. Um, FFG Games. And apparently, um, she left FFG. Uh, you know, even though, I mean, that's like one of the few steady jobs you can get in the board game industry. So, uh, I, don't, I don't know why she left. I, I've heard there's like a, there's a rumblings of, you know, it's not necessarily a great place to work. I don't really know anything about the rumor mill. All I know is, you know, we really enjoyed, um, you know, I, I know she was, she, she's been involved with a lot of designs. Her big thing was, oh, now I can't think of the name of it, that uh, storytelling game. Which was all storytelling, but it was really beautifully done. We were really impressed with it. And now, okay, I can't rest until I look up the name of it and then just be very embarrassed that I can't remember the name of it because it's going to be really obvious when I get there. It was... Why can't I find... I still can't find it. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, okay, but, but apparently she's done work on... I don't know, Eldritch Horror, Arkham Horror, 3rd Edition, whatever, don't particularly care. And, yeah, a, a lot of work on a lot of the expansions. Sure, that's all fine. Legacy of Dragonholt, that's what it was. Legacy of Dragonholt was lovely. It was a really great storytelling game, and that seems to be the common conceit for all the work she's done for Fantasy Flight games. Really strong, narrative-driven, Ameritrashy-style games. So, if that's her background... This is why I'm so interested, because Quirky Circuits sounds like a, a goofy little co-op robot programming game. I don't know if it's going to be some kind of co-op 
alternative to Robo Rally, but if it is, that is a very interesting idea. And considering it's just so far afield from what she's been known for, and it's her first game um, away from Fantasy Flight Games, well, I'm interested. I'm on board. Let's uh, see what she's got up her sleeve with Quirky Circuits. Next up, Oh my gosh, folks, it never ends. The Agricola Gravy Train is going to keep on giving good stuff with 120 new cards in Corbarius deck. The Corbarius deck. I don't know what Corbarius is. I don't know if it's a place or a person, if it's a thing, if it's an idea. I don't care. It's 120 new games. Agricola will never die. I feel bad for all you Caverna fans out there, but it's a good time to be an Agricola fan with the the Corbarius deck. Then... Uh, speaking of expansions, we've got Lorenzo El Magnifico, the Pazzi Conspiracy. Lorenzo El Magnifico is great. Yes, I know I have to... Oh man, this makes me feel bad. I haven't covered the first expansion for it that I've had for a couple of years now. i got to get this thing to the table because the Pazzi Conspiracy is coming next. And Lorenzo El Magnifico is great. So more Lorenzo is a good thing. But this one, the description talks about being able to punish your opponents while you engage in the conspiracy. I'm a little worried. But still, the core game is so great, it's worth checking out, I suspect. Then we've got Valley of the Kings, the Premium Edition. Now, I've done videos for all three Valley of the Kings game. It's an excellent deck builder. In fact, it could have easily made my top 10 deck builder video, which I'll be talking about in the next segment. So we'll come back to that in a second. But everything that's come out for it is now getting you know combined into one big box premium edition and the player count is changing they're introducing solo play and it goes up to six players now hooray i don't care about either of those things but i'm happy for other players who will now be able to get to enjoy this wonderful deck builder the valley of the kings premium edition then Valeria Card Kingdom's Crimson Seas. This looks like the biggest expansion to Valeria Card Kingdom's to date. Most of the expansions so far have just been like little card packs, but this sounds like a really big deal. Tons of cards, tons of new gameplay, a board, all kinds of stuff. Valeria Card Kingdom's is a great game, the best of all the Machikoro-inspired games out there, and I love seeing it just get more and more love with the new expansion, Crimson Seas, which is on Kickstarter right now. And last but not least, the last one I've got for you this month, folks, Watergate. I admit, I almost didn't open this one up because I knew Jen would not care about the subject matter. Obviously, this is about the break-in and the cover-up and all of that. But I did look at it anyway. And here's the interesting thing. It's a two-player-only game. One player is on Nixon's side. One player is on the truth side, I suppose. As, you know, we're on either sides of the conspiracy and the cover-up and all that. So, I don't know. I, I know Jen's still going to hate the subject matter. It's probably still a pass. But then I see the designer, Matthias Kramer. One of my top 10 designers of all time. So, yeah. Let's give it a go. Let's check out Watergate. And that's it, folks. A whole bunch of new stuff. Um, but now, let's hold on for a little bit. And I'll be right back to talk about my recent top 10s, Deck Builders. And what was the other one? Oh, One Hit Wonders. Hang on. We'll be right back, everybody. Okay, everybody, it's been a while, but it's time to revisit a couple of top tens, both of which I filmed just in the last couple of weeks. And like always, I'm going to spend a little bit more time talking about these two topics, games that didn't quite make my list and why, and maybe some stuff that folks have suggested online as well. Although, there's a new twist. Somebody, I'm sorry, I don't remember who, recently requested... 
or actually I should say, recently shocked me to say, yeah, I, I listen to your podcast, I love it, and I never watch your videos. Now, I didn't think that existed, but apparently that's a thing. And so he's always been frustrated that when I get to these top 10 recaps, I never actually mention what was in the original top 10, because he doesn't watch the videos. So, I'm just going to start doing quick rundowns of the top 10s themselves, just literally saying what they were, and then I'll talk about the additional. So, with that in mind, let's talk about drafting first. My top 10 was, actually I had a couple of honorable mentions, Ginkopolis and Honshu with the Hokkaido variant, but the actual top 10 was Boomerang, Tybor the Builder, Steampunk Rally, uh, Keyflow, Fields of Green, or Among the Stars, you prefer sci-fi, Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, or Between Two Cities, you prefer less fanciful, silly stuff, Warsaw City of Ruins, also known as Capitals, Subdivision, Notre Dame, and the number one, Seven Wonders. Uh, as you might uh, notice, if you're familiar with those games, my take on drafting meant really simultaneous action selection card and tile drafting games, which is to say you uh, have a hand of cards or whatever, you pick one, you hand the rest to your opponents and uh, you know sitting next to you, and then everybody reveals at the same time. Lots of different ways you can draft, but that's the way I define drafting for this. And the games that didn't make my list... Well, I had four right off the top of my head. Greed is a really, really good drafting game from Donald X. Vaccarino. And ultimately, I got rid of it because I hated the theme. Actually, I didn't mind the theme, but my wife hated the theme. And I thought it was a really dumb move. Apparently, the original theme for Greed was uh, Roaring uh, 20s Era Prohibition Mobsters. And they changed it to like a 50s, 60s, um, you know, a much more gritty and um, hardcore uh, you know, crime simulation as opposed to kind of a, an antiquated, almost romanticized uh, criminal gangsters uh, booze running. It became drug running and prostitution rings and stuff like that. So the theme was always a little too heavy. So Greed, I mean, if it had a different theme, I would probably would have made this list because it's really good. Fairy Tale is a very nice card drafting game as well. Just not as good as any of the ones I mentioned. Oceanos, I was really close to giving that one the nod too. The drafting in it is just okay, but the push your luck in it is gorgeous. It's also a drafting game from um, you know Antoine Bowser, the designer of Seven Wonders. So Seven Wonders, my number one. Uh, yeah, like I said, um, it almost made my top ten. His other big drafting game, or his lesser known one, Oceanos. Really smart. And then there's also Ancestry, which I have but have not played yet. It is from designer um, Eric Lang. And Eric Lang is a super hot designer, and Ancestry's really slipped between the cracks. Nobody seemed to pick up on it. Supposedly, it's really good. We're drafting cards to make a uh, a uh, an ancestry or a, a family tree. That could be really cool. I don't know. I'll try it someday. But so uh, since I haven't played it, it didn't make my list. But those were the four I had considered also uh, making it. But let's look at what other people recommended. Okay, the biggest one that was recommended over and over and over again. A lot of people uh, said I really missed a trick by not including Paper Tales. Mia culpa. Paper Tales might have made the list. In fact, I would be shocked if Paper Tales wouldn't have made the list. The problem is, I only ever played a prototype of it. The publisher never sent me the final version. So, I mean, I'll mention it now, because I do remember the prototype was really, really good. And it's already gotten expansions. I mean, I, I think it probably has a long, healthy life ahead of it. And maybe it should have made this list. But like I said, I, I just couldn't in good conscience do it, having only played the prototype. So Paper Tales didn't make it. A lot of people mentioned, uh, or actually a few people mentioned, Bunny Kingdom. 
which I believe is from Richard Garfield, the designer of Magic the Gathering. And it's a card drafting game mixed with an area control, mixed with really cute, adorable little bunny minis. Someday I'll try that. I've, I've always wanted to give it a go. It's just, you know, I never got a review copy of it. And I wasn't driven enough to seek it out. But... Uh, apparently it's very good, uh, and people said I should have mentioned it. So I have now mentioned it. Uh, this was a really weird one. It kind of surprised me. Foreign Trajanum, uh, you know, the from last year's uh, Stefan Feld game. There is a little bit of tile drafting in that game because um, you know every round I draw two tiles, I keep one for myself, I give one to my opponent. That does fit within the parameters I set out. But really, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny element of the game. And really, to say that it's a, a card or tile drafting game, I think that would have had to be the major part of the game. It's, a, it's too small. But I really loved it. Uh, uh, you know, Jared suggested I thought that was a really clever idea um, you know, to, 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 get, to get it on. So I was happy to give it some love as well. Let's see, was there anybody else? No, just Bunny Kingdom and Paper Tales over and over again again. And uh, yeah, so I think that is it for that topic. So let's now hit the other top 10, which was a much tougher one for me to do. I had to do a lot of uh, hemming and hawing, trying to figure out who to put on my list of top 10 one-hit wonders. And this was basically a list of designers, not publishers, but the individual designers who have made a great, great game. I'm not saying they were necessarily big smash hits, but they were just fantastic, phenomenal designs, and that designer has never designed anything else. Or if he has, he or she, I should say, uh, they've certainly never published anything else with a publisher. Maybe they've done some print and plays. Maybe they've done some expansions for their one game they've done, but they're still just that one hit or that one great game they've done. So, I picked 10. I sorted the list by date, starting with the newest. And I didn't want to have people who had only recently published a game, because, hey, maybe they're going to publish another game, and they just need a couple of years to get it done. So, it had to be at least four years since they've done a game. So, uh, starting at my number 10, in 2015, we had The Queen's Architect from Volker Shoktella. Great, great game. And then number 9 was Steampunk Rally from Orrin Bishop. Now, as it turns out... I made a terrible mistake. I don't think I should have put Steampunk Rally because as soon as I put this video up, somebody pointed out to me that the publisher, Roxley Game, has announced another game from Orin, a sequel to Steampunk Rally. I forget the name of it. I'll mention it in a little bit. But if I had known that was coming, I wouldn't have put him on the list because we are going to get some more good love from Steampunk Orin Bishop. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, Steampunk Dungeon, I think, or something like that. But anyway, number eight, Subdivision from Lucas Hedgren. Uh, number seven, Dungeon Roll from Chris Darden uh, back in 2013. Number six, Mirmies from Johan Levitt. And it was pointed out to me that arguably I should not have included this because Johan did have another published game. I don't remember what it is now. Let me go find that because this is my opportunity to make right what once went wrong. Let's see. I'm on BoardGameGeek. Mirmies. You know, the wonderful worker placement um, ant colony simulation. M-Y-R-M... I can spell. There it is. So, Yoan Levitt, how did I miss? What was your other game, Yoan? It was... Oh, Tales and Games, The Grasshopper and the Ant. You know why I didn't consider this one? He was one of several designers who worked on this. If I recall correctly. Or am I wrong? No, I'm wrong. I'm thinking of a different one. Okay. 
Tales in uh, Tale Tales in Games, the Grasshopper and the Ant came out in 2015. It is his second published design. Johan should not have made my list. He is not a one-hit wonder. It's a terrible mistake, folks. So Johan is off the list, as is what did I say before? Orin Bishop with Steampunk Rally. But let's keep going with the list as it was. Uh, number five was Targi from Andreas Steiger, and I'm very sad to say this one does stay on the list. I cannot. Targi is so brilliant. Uh, but then number four, Eaten by Zombies from Max Holiday. All the way back in 2011, we haven't seen anything from Max for eight years. Heartbreaking, but not as heartbreaking as number three, Hawaii from Gray Daigle. Oh my gosh, another 2011 game. Super heartbreaking for reasons I talked about in the video. Number two, Homesteaders from Alex Rockwell, and number one, Tobago from Bruce Allen, both in 2009. Both amazing games, and both of these designers were never heard from again. So sad. But let's talk about some other one-hit wonders that break my heart. Um, now, first of all, I have a couple from more recent, a couple from 2017. Um, Otis from Cloud uh, Lucini. Uh, you know, I, but I see, that's the thing. I mean, it's only a couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Lucini has something else up his sleeve. But nothing's been announced. But like I said, that's why I left uh, these newer ones off the list. And by the same token, I could certainly do The Seventh Continent from 2017 from uh, Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter. Uh, there's been no talk about them doing anything else. But I wouldn't be surprised. So that's why, you know, the newer stuff I just didn't do. Uh, one other newer one from 2016, Swinging Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge from Seth Roback. This one I'm worried. Uh, you know... Like I said, I expect we'll see something else from the Otis and Seventh Continent designers. I don't know if we will see another a sequel or something else from Mr. Swing and Jive Cat, which would be a shame because this is a really clever game. I, one can hope. Then, if we get back into the older stuff, stuff that could have made the list but didn't. Uh, again, just working backwards. Uh, in 2015, there was New York 1901 from um, uh, Chenier LaSalle and Space Cadets Away Missions from a, a design duo, Dan uh, Raspler and Al Rose. Now, New York 1901 is a very good game. And I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. LaSalle comes uh, another game, but apparently, in his real day job, he's an actual ambassador, a Canadian ambassador. So this is clearly something he did on the side. So I wouldn't be surprised if we never see anything. Eh, that's too bad, but you know, New York 19 was a good little gateway game. Um, Space Cadets Away mission from Dan and Al. This was a very sharp, this was a this was a rarity for me. A full-on, straight-up Ameritrash dice chucker that Jen and I really enjoyed. Uh, we normally hate this kind of stuff, but Space Cadets Away Mission was good enough. And because of that, I would love to see Dan and Al do something else. But no one's ever heard anything since for four years. Then, um, in 2014, there was Battle at Kemble's Cascade from uh, brothers, uh, Anders and Ole uh, Tierland. They, I remember back when this came out, they were talking about expansions and whatnot. Uh, they had lots of ideas, and I could certainly see a lot of new content coming for Battle of Campbell's Cascade. But goose egg, uh, crickets, nothing since. Which makes me think, they, uh, they didn't quit their day job, which is a shame. But then we've got Alchemists. And this is from 2014. This was on my list. But I took it off at the last minute. It's from um, Mattus Kotri, and it's a really, really brilliant game. Mattus has not done anything since other than a big box expansion for Alchemist. Here's the thing. I have no inside information here. But my, my game dar 
tells me we have not heard the last of Matos. I bet you anything, CGE, before too long, is going to announce a new game designed by him or co-designed by him. Because I know CGE really loved his work. And you know, if you look at Alchemist, this is, this is the design from somebody who really loves games and has other game stories to tell. So it didn't quite make my list, but maybe it should have. Um, Alchemist from uh, Mattis Country. Then... In 2014, there was Zombie 15 um, from Guillaume Lemery and Nicholas uh, 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 Schwelitz. It's a good game. It's a very good alternative to Escape Zombie City. A real-time game where players are working cooperatively to try to stay one step ahead of the horde of zombies. It was really great. I really liked it. And uh, it got some expansion content too, a solo expansion of all things. But uh, Guillaume and Nicholas haven't given us anything else. And it's been five years, so I'm expecting we're done with them. But you know what? Hey, Zombie 15 is a good lineage. Uh, And now, oh, this one, man. Brian Meyer in 2012 gave us the Underground Railroad. Freedom, the Underground Railroad. That is a brilliant, and more importantly, an important cooperative game. It is a milestone in modern designer board game history by being at once a really good, well-designed, and fun cooperative game, but at the other one being an amazing um, emotional roller coaster that brings history to life and can be used as a wonderful teaching aid and educational experience all about, you know, um, you know, trying to free slaves via the Underground Railroad, uh, you know, in you know, this dark chapter of American history. Brilliant on so many levels. And I would so love to see Brian t- tackle other tough history uh, in the same way. Uh, man, I, I really hope we haven't heard the last from Brian because Underground Railroad, Freedom of the Underground Railroad was amazing and I bet you he could do he could do great, great things. Then moving on to another 2012 game, uh, Darkest Night from Jeremy Leonard. Another great cooperative game. Uh, got a lot of love. Eventually got an expansion and a big deluxe reprint, but nothing new. Um, you know, I think Jeremy is just, it seems like he's just happy to continue to support Darkest Night. Because uh, there is, I know, a thriving community of players who really love that fantasy co-op. Um, had a little bit too much dice rolling and we really hated the fact that, uh, you know, Jeremy decided as a two-player game, yeah, players should control multiple characters. That kind of killed it for us. But it was a really good design. Very, very sharp in a lot of ways. And the last one that I did not call out was from 2009. Yes, I know, folks. I looked to earlier years. I just didn't find anything. I guess back in the earlier years, when it was much harder to get a board game published, if you published one, you were going to get another one published. But nowadays, that anybody and their mother could publish a board game, you're going to see a lot more one-hit wonders going forward because the market is just open to so many more people. But, my, I'm sorry, my last 2009 game was Arctic Scavengers from Robert Gaphart. Uh, he, he was... It was a sad tale there. The first out-of-the-gate... Dominion inspired game. It could have been the second deck builder on the market and could have really gotten a lot of momentum. But uh, there were all kinds of problems, as I understand it, with the publication. It took a long time for it to ever see the light of day. And in the meantime, Ascension and Legendary and other, um, you know, second and third run deck builders were able to follow up on the success of Dominion. It should have been Robert. It should have been Arctic Scavengers. And it wasn't. And that's a real shame. And we haven't heard anything from Robert since. Alrighty. That's it. A bunch of one hit, well, a bunch more one hit wonders, a bunch more tales of woe. But let's see. I don't recall that um, the posters, you know, folks online had much more to add. 
Uh, there's a lot of agreement that Tobago is a one-of-time game. Like I said, there were those folks who pointed out um, uh, you know, those two that I probably should not have put on the list. So anyway, there were a whole bunch more that you could have put on the list instead. And uh, yeah. Uh, oh, 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 one more. This got mentioned several times. Brussels, 1893. Uh, from, you know, everybody thinks that should be a one-hit wonder. Who was the designer? It was um, Ention. I remember that. Let me look up his full name. Brussels 1893, published in 2013 from Ention uh, Esperman. Why didn't that make my top? Because it's, it's a great hit, Jen. I loved it. And everybody says, oh, well, he was a uh, one-time designer. I'm like, no, he wasn't. Everybody forgot that um, the year after Brussels came out, he was the co-designer on Essen the Game. And that was a properly published game. So I think Entian, I mean, although actually I, I think Entian is still working behind the scenes. I think he's not being a designer anymore. I think he's a game developer now. I'm not sure about that. I could be totally talking out of my butt there. But um, still, if it wasn't for S in the Game, which was very quickly forgotten, I think under a normal one-hit wonders list, he would make the list because nobody remembers S in the Game. But nope. I do. It came out, so it kept uh, Ention off the list with his excellent, wonderful Brussels 1893. Phew! Okay, folks. There were some top 10 recaps. I'm exhausted now, but hang on, uh, because we'll be right back. Jen joining me for the questions and the answers. Hey, everybody. Okay, it's time for the questions, time for the answers, time for Jen to just tune out for a little while (laughs) while I do the game-related stuff. She might pop in every once in a while, but you might hear her clicking away in the background because she is getting ready for Dice Tower West, which we'll be going to tomorrow. She's got to get a bunch of pictures ready to have a little interactive iPad display slideshow thingy. And she thought, well, this is going to be a really boring thing. Hey, how about we record the podcast? (laughs) This will be a good way to pass the time. Um, I don't know what's more boring, having to catalog all the pictures or answer game-related questions. Um, she apparently has no response to that. No response. All righty. Well, then let's get right to it with uh, Ike wondering that if I could only keep my five favorite games or my, my top five favorite games or my top six to 20 favorite games, which would I pick? On a more general note, uh, what's more important, uh, quality or variety? So that's an interesting one, Honey Pie. What mm. would you choose? Quality. So you would just go for five mm. games rather than 15. 15 amazing games no, no, as for... opposed to five insanely stellar games. No, you're right. I would go for variety. But your favorite game of all time wouldn't make it. I don't know what that is. We'd have to go back and look One at your old top. top. 22? Yes. <laughs> I mean, Gloomhaven wouldn't make it. That'd be out. Of, I mean, I assume Gloomhaven at this point would be in your top five. Well, I don't have to worry about Gloomhaven because I know it's in your top five. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do not believe that that uh, is in the spirit of Ike's question here. So, you're willing to give up Gloomhaven and four other games for your next favorite 15. Gosh. These are tough choices and you must answer the question! I know. I don't know how to answer that question. I know. That's a tough one. That is a really tough one. I think it would depend on where we're living. If we were living in the bongo, 
uh-huh. and traveling around, then obviously the the best five. If we had more space like we do now, then I guess I would go for variety. How about that? Ha ha! I have answered your question both ways. Ha ha ha! Yep, yep, yep. There you go. That's uh. So that's the level, that's the quality of decisive answer you're going to be getting from Jen today. Uh, but let's see here. I'm actually, let me look at my top five and my top 15. So my top five are Pandemic. Of course. Uh, Shadowrun, Crossfire, Gloomhaven, Agricola, and Twa. And if I'd be dumping those in favor of Burgundy, Nations, Keyflower, Polyphony, Seven Wonders, Dungeon Pets, Dominion, Roll for the Galaxy, Manhattan Project, Energy Empire, Trajan... And escape. Uh, I've lost track of where am I here. Let's see. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Yeah, I think Carpe Diem is number twenty. Ooh, I guess if we're talking about for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh! But giving up Gloomhaven and Shadowrun and Twa and Agricola and Pandemic. <clears throat> no. Well, so now you're back to the top five. Then. I think you do the top five. I do the top. All right. The, the other one. I think I'd have to go for more. I'd, I'd go for quantity over quality. I mean, now that, that variety is. Variety over. I was about to say the hallmark of my entire show is quantity over quality. Because, <laughs> because I don't put out just one really well crafted video a week. I put out three or four hastily cobbled together videos. <laughs> So if that's the byword for my show, I guess it should be for my life as well. So I'll go for numbers 6 through 20. That's a tough choice, though. All righty. Then we move on to Chris, who wonders, uh, since he's enjoyed Isle of Sky so much, he's looking uh, to pick up one of the expansions, but I haven't covered either of them, Journeyman or Druids. Have I done a run-through and he's just missed them? If not, then why? Pray tell Why? He literally used the word pray tell. Pray tell. And uh, I, I, I apologize for this, Chris. I also apologize to the publishers. I do have the earlier one that, geez, came out like two essence ago, Journeyman. And I haven't gotten it to the table yet. Uh, and to be fair, the stuff I picked up two years ago at Essen, normally I would have been getting to most of that stuff in January, February of the following year. Last year... Around that time, we were in the process of completely ripping our lives apart to travel halfway around the world to be where we are right now. And so a lot of things fell between the cracks. A lot of uh, expansion specifically. But even that aside, I have been finding more and more it is difficult to cover expansions. I used to say, oh, it's so much easier. And it's great because I get to get out a game and, and uh, play it some more that you know otherwise we'd just have to sit gathering dust. Love expansions. Hurry, bring more of them on. But the problem I'm finding is... With so many of these games, we haven't touched it for two or three or four years. And then an expansion comes along. Okay, for me to cover this, we've got to play it. And that means i got to go back and i got to learn how to play the base game plus the expansion. Plus. Plus the expansion. Emphasis on the plus. The expansion makes it a more challenging task on some level than just learning some new game that doesn't have an additional expansion's worth of content. Now, it's, it's not quite as simple as that, but I have found that being a bit more of a barrier... Um, I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to turn that around. Like I said, if there's one thing I'm behind on, it's covering expansions. My Lorenzo El Magnifico expansion, that's like two or three years I've had that and I haven't done it. For shame, I say. But, you know, it, it is just the, the nature of it. I am hopefully going to get Journeyman covered in the next couple of months. Uh, as for the other one, the more recent one, Druids, I don't have a copy of it. 
for whatever reason, I have a hard time getting some games from some publishers. Asmodee, uh, because they now own Lookout, is like pulling teeth. It used to be when I went to Essen, I was able to get all the Lookout titles directly from artist Clemens Franz, who's like, you know, big man on campus at Lookout Games. You know, he does most all their art. And he was always able to cobble together a collection so I'd be able to cover stuff. But Lookout has always... Well, basically, Lookout has never returned my calls or my emails. I've written them over the years, and they've just literally never replied. So I've always had the impression they don't like me. Um, and I don't know, it might be because I got in a slight argument years ago with Hano, the, uh, the head guy there. I'm not really quite sure. It's just all very weird. And Asmodee, sometimes they're really great. Sometimes they're not at getting me stuff. So, like I said, I haven't seen Druids at all. But even if I did, although quite frankly, if they had sent Druids, that would have certainly given me the kick in the butt to get Journeyman covered that much quicker. But, you know, these are just... That's just the situation. I don't have a good answer. I should have had these covered by now, Chris, and I'm sorry. You'll have to look elsewhere, and I wish you the best of luck deciding. Okay, Tom wonders, continuing uh, episode 45's discussion of board game terminology, maybe it's just semantics, muses Tom, but it seems like we board gamers have conflated the term theme and setting. Do I agree, disagree, or not care? I do agree. And at one point I kind of cared... As, as theme was kind of becoming a buzzword, it was like, no, no, these are not, this is not themes. But strictly speaking, board games don't necessarily have themes in the common usage of the word. Um, you know, there, there aren't like these underlying um, elements to the game that try to inform and uh, ludicate and, and draw together an overall narrative, you know, kind of more of what the traditional novelist version of theme is. What are the themes of War and Peace? Uh, you know, it's not that, oh, the theme of War and Peace is not that it is set in revolutionary era Russia. The, you know, the theme is about sacrifice and, and all that. And, and board games don't do that as much. So I guess I'm okay with it. And even if I wasn't, it doesn't matter. It's here to say. Just like I'm not necessarily okay with mechanics as opposed to mechanisms, you know, I, I, I'll live with it. It's not the end of the world. Words change meaning all the time. Language is natural and it's supposed to evolve. As long as everybody understands what you're talking about, I got no problem with it, really. I mean, I guess maybe if you're trying to talk to an outsider and you say, oh, the theme of this game is... And if they're cinephiles, they might say, wait a minute. That's, you know, I don't think you understand what theme is. But I think most people probably don't understand. I wouldn't be surprised if across the broader culture, theme is changing in its fundamental underlying meaning. And say la vie. That is the nature of language. Okay. Uh, Tom does add he, that he will concede that dripping with setting does not... Um, flow nicely. Everybody says, oh, the game is dripping with theme. It's so thematic. But what they mean is it really captures the setting. Mm -hmm. Because whenever we say, what's the game's theme, we're really saying, what is the game's setting? Because we never talk about the actual theme. Because, I mean, what would the theme of Agricola be? The theme of Agricola would be uh, adversity in the face of hardship, family pulling together. That would be the theme of Agricola. What would be the theme of pandemic? You know, it would obviously be um, you know the 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 modern world's weakness against the spread of virus because of our interconnectivity, and yet our interconnectivity is also our strength. You know, so you know some kind of dichotomy there. That would be the underlying theme. But when people say, "What's the theme of pandemic?" Jim was just looking at me. She didn't understand. What is this point? What you know? What was your if if I had said, "Honey, hey, what's the theme of pandemic?" Would you understand the question? Not being a diehard crazy board gamer. I would more expect it to be, you know, what is this game about? What are what is the kind of the feel and the flow and what are we doing? And so I would have said it's basically you start a farm and it's how you grow your farm and you grow your livelihood over the course of, 
I don't know, the life. Of, yeah. Of the life. Of yeah. But I mean, I would say that's more about the setting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, and a setting is not necessarily what a work of art is about. True. Um, you know, a work of art is about, you know, these the underlying. underlying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the thing. I mean, board games don't really have that much underlying. Oh, that was actually a really fun exercise. What is the actual underlying theme of these games? That's actually really cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, but anyway, it hardly matters. Tom, your question is answered. But then you continue. If if I took a break, or I should say if we took a break, because Jen's part of this team too, if we retired from uh, Rado Runs Through for a while, or took a break, what would be the three or four games that we would choose to play first? Because suddenly we have no obligation to play anything at all. We can just play whatever the heck we want. Hmm. That's an interesting <clears throat> question. But he's full of interesting yes. questions. Um, well, I think we'd probably go back to Gloomhaven because it's been so long Totally, since totally. Played. Especially because later this year there's an expansion coming for Gloomhaven, which unfortunately you can't just throw in. It's a continuation of the story after you've won. We're about two-thirds of the way through the main storyline, and then we put it on the shelf for a year, unfortunately. Yeah. Because we were playing every Sunday until you took a month off to go to England, and then when you came back, we just never picked it back up. Um, but I'd really like to get that finished in time for the expansion, because okay. the expansion continues the story afterwards, and that's really cool. But I'm going away again to England for a month. That's not going to help. <laughs> so, but anyway, yes, I mean, I, I think we both agree. The number one would be we would both like to get back to Gloomhaven quite a bit. We'd like to return. Um, what else? Uh, we have a lot of expansions for Agricola we've never touched. Oh wow! We have so that would you be you so have fun. no idea how many cards we've got that we've never seen. Uh, we've got at least six or seven you know expansions that each one of them has like thirty or forty cards in it. Oh my gosh! I know that would be fun. That would be that would that be a would blast. Be really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. That's two. Yeah. He wanted three or four. Three or four. Well, I was just thinking, surely pandemic. We could get back to that. Play. Do you, Do you want to? I love Pandemic. I know. Well, what would, okay, what would you want to play? Because there's regular Pandemic. There's all the different expansions. Uh, there's the Pandemic Rome one we played a little while ago. Mm-hmm. The Pandemic one with the water that flowed all over the place and you had to build the dikes. And yeah. the Pandemic where you're building the train lines to move the sick people because the cubes represent people. I want another Pandemic Legacy. Right. Yeah, of course. So, But if, if Pandemic Legacy 3 were here, we'd be playing it for the show regardless. Yeah. Uh, I'm um, just saying that's what I want. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it'll, it'll be coming. It'll be coming for this year or next year. Okay. Um, yeah, a third one. That's a tough one. I'm, I'm, mm. I, I, anything that you know. Basically, we haven't been able to touch the expansions much. I think, like Castles of Burgundy has nine expansions. We've we've never played a single one of them, even though I have all nine of them. No, there's ten of them now, wow. and I've not used any of them. That would be fun. Uh, we really hardly played, you know, Nations, the expansion for that. We hardly played it at all. Um, yeah, that's tough for a third. But yeah, definitely Gloomhaven and Agricola. I think we both agree, number one and number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost feel like a lot, I mean, Dominion. We used to play Dominion a lot, like a lot, a lot. And, I'll, and you, you have no idea. There are so many expansions out for it now. Apparently, I just have no you idea. You had no idea, Honey Pie. There are no ideas here. There, there's the three. That's the three. More Gloomhaven, more Dominion, and more Agricola. Okay. That was a tough one, Tom. You put us through the ringer, but now let's move on to Neil. 
who, first of all, hopes that we're both doing well. Aw, thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Would it be possible to name the theme music that we use for that I use for breaks in the podcast in the show notes? I saw your uh, question before, Neil, and I do think that's a great idea. I have to admit, when I first started, I didn't really give it any thought, but it's getting to the point where I no longer remember if I've used one or not, <laughs> and I and I, I don't want to repeat myself. And I, I make it tough for myself because I'm always trying to choose theme songs that don't have lyrics. And so there's a lot of great ones. I, got. I mean, I'd really love to do uh, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman one, but I couldn't find an orchestral version of just the da 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 da. It's all Wonder the world Woman. is waiting for you and the magic that you do oh. in your satin tights, fighting for our rights, <laughs> and the old red, white, and blue. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so I, I try to avoid that. But yeah, I really do need to make a list. So I am starting with this episode. I don't even know what song I'm going to use for this one yet. I will comprise a list and keep it up to date on guild.rado.com. Alrighty. Uh, Neil's favorites were, were The Rockford Files and Grace American Hero. Yeah, I keep, every month, I keep thinking, have I done Grace American Hero yet? Yes, I think I have. As I would love to use that one again. And The Rockford Files, of course, was the one that started me doing it. Alrighty. But yes, uh, consider it done, Neil. And the link for the thread will be in the show notes of this podcast. Or just go to guild.rao.com. Anyway, next up, Jeff says that on the vindicated stick, uh, the Vindication Kickstarter, <laughs> almost said the Vindicated Stick Carter page, he saw a Rado Runs Through icon, which has an approved shown at the bottom. Hasn't seen that before. Perhaps the logo has debuted at a different Kickstarter or mentioned in a podcast. But overall, guess... I'd have to say I'm surprised to see you officially endorsing games now. I've always heard you mention something along the lines of, don't listen to what I think, just watch the run-through. I still say that. Uh, the new icon seems to say, don't bother watching the run-through, it's approved. Perhaps an <laughs> exaggeration, but I guess I'm wondering how this new icon came about and how it's going to be used going forward. Um, Jeff, I will answer your question bluntly by saying, I had nothing to do with this. Occasionally, publishers say, hey, can we put your logo on our box? Uh, I think the first one ever to do it was was actually Richard Breeze for for a Keyflower reprint or a Keyflower expansion, I think. And I said, "Oh yeah, that's really cool." And um, you know, and and I know um, Renegade Games have done it. And basically, they'll just contact me and say, "Hey, we'd love to put your logo on the box, um, so that people know that you covered us or and that you gave us a good review." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, fine, sure, whatever." And they said, "Where can we get the logo?" And I just say, "Do a Google search for Rado logo. You'll find it." It's not that hard to get. I'm really not too terribly precious about it. I have no idea what Vindication did. Let me look. It sounds like they went a bit above and beyond and tried to make it look like uh, like the Dice Tower thing. Kickstarter. Kick, er, stick Carter. Stick. Kick, kick starter. Vin, di, vindication. Okay, there we go. Vindication expansion. Let's take a looky-loo at this. I mean, that's it. I mean, I, I honestly, at this point, I, I think people do it and they don't necessarily ask. Oh, yep. Yeah, I had nothing to do with this. But yeah, it's approved. I, I, I approve it. I have no problem saying that. You know, they're not giving information out there that's not readily available for anybody who's going to take the time to go and look what I said. So that's okay. I do not have a seal of excellence or seal of approval system. I'm not going to have a thumbs up or thumbs down or, you know, a, you know, five gold star type thing. Um, yeah. So this is something they, because obviously they, they have, I'm looking at it, they have the Dice Tower Seal of Excellent, and then uh, it made a Man vs. Meeple Top 10, so they were able to say it's a Top 10-er, but I haven't done that, I haven't put any Top 10s, and I don't have a Seal of Approval, so they just kind of did that, and I'm like, yeah, I approve it, 
I guess I approve this message. And maybe they asked, maybe they didn't. But I would say when you see that, at the most, it means that the publisher asked, hey, do you mind if we tell people that you like our game? And I'm like, yeah, I don't mind. Go ahead. And so that's basically what that is. It's, there's nothing official. There, there's nothing backing it up other than players then seeking it out. I don't know. Are, are you suggesting, Jeff, that I should not do it? I, I see your point that it's kind of inconsistent with my underlying message. But by the same token, I mean, I don't, I, I don't begrudge them doing it. They're just trying to sell games. And I do know my, my opinion, unfortunately, does have a not insignificant impact on people's buying purchasing habits. So, ah, like I said, they're not lying. We liked vindication. I, I do approve it. So, I, you know, as long as it's not a lie, I, I guess I'm cool. Next up, let's see here. We've got Cindy, who says, really enjoying the podcast, wondering how it works when a game is on Kickstarter relative to it eventually showing up at the retail level. And Daisy's out there barking. Do we need to do something about it? No. Okay. She's now outside barking and bothering the neighbors. All right. Jen is going to squish by me. I'm going to get closer to the microphone now. Sorry about that. Um, in our the uh, we don't live in a gated community thing like that, but there are there's very few CCRs or whatever community guidelines here, and one of them is keep your dogs quiet. And Daisy loves to go out and bark at squirrels. Oh, it's David. We don't need to know about squirrels anyway. Sorry, that's personal stuff. This is game related stuff. So anyway, back to the question: How? A game, how it works when a game is on Kickstarter relative to it eventually showing up at retail. I can give a specific example of Luna, which had a Kickstarter for a deluxe version along with the option to buy the plain retail version. It is stated the deluxe version is only going to be guaranteed on Kickstarter. However, I assume the retail version will reach stores around the same time as the estimated delivery date. No doubt. You can't say for certain relative to that specific game, To, but is that how it usually works? I No, there is, I don't think there is. We, our industry, the board game industry, is not mature and established enough that there is a way things are done. The movie industry has a way things are done with the re- the relative release in theater and then release on home video and release on direct download and where deluxe versions and regular versions that you know the rules have been set in other industries the rules are not set. You have just described the rules according to Tasty Minstrel Games, the publisher of Luna when they do Kickstarter deluxe versions. Other publishers might do radically different things. There is no usual at this point unfortunately, Cindy. So I'm sorry I can't help but more and let's move on to Phil who wonders that if I had a special time machine to send one board game back in time to improve the net quality of Jen's and my board gaming experience, which game would it be and why? I don't know, Phil. I've. What would it be? Okay, so it's the you know it, it's. I guess Phil's asking: Should there have been a different game that was sent back in time for us to take that French road trip, other than pandemic? Uh, or if not then, shortly thereafter, when we got back and, we were, and I started looking for other games and whatnot. Maybe Dungeon Pets. But why? I mean, you, you, you say, sure, send back Dungeon Pets so it's available to us two or three years sooner. But what impact would that have? I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand the question, Phil. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think we could have been hooked any more thoroughly. No, no, no. Yeah, we were, we were in Hook, Line, Seeker. I mean, to be fair, there were a lot of missteps... 
If, if we were starting out today, I don't think there'd be anywhere near as many missteps. I would not have made as many blind purchases hoping for the best because there's now so much more information about games. And quite frankly, there's so many more games coming out and they're all, for the most part, well done. Back in 2009, 2010, there weren't near as many games, but there were still just as many like, oh yeah, I mean... Many, so many missteps I made in the early days. Sending one back, I don't think is going to change that though. So I'm sorry, Phil. I don't. You'll have to follow up with a, with with a follow up question to this, explaining or giving an example of in your own life how sending something back. I mean, because maybe that's the problem. There's not that much to send back. I mean, we're, we're it's not that far back in the past. We're only talking eight or nine years. I mean, maybe you're somebody who's been playing since the '70s and you would love to send Agricola back to 1973, and that would be incredible. Um, I, I don't know, maybe, but yeah, I, I don't really, I can't think of that as, and, and you can't think of me thinking, can you, Honey Pie? No. no. Alrighty, then we're just gonna <laughs> quietly move on to Yorince's question, or questions. First of all, he mentions that we talked about gaming getting more expensive. What do I think of the improvements of 3D printing, which could help make games cheaper? When you buy a game, for example, instead of components, there'll be files. I mean... Or, or maybe this could lead to a whole new print-and-play genre. I think, ultimately, that's what's going to happen. I, I, you know, it's going to take a while. In the same way that if you... I mean, it's not that long ago that if you go, went into a Walmart to buy a video game, you actually bought the, di- the disc in a box with an instruction manual, and you took it home with you. You had a physical thing. Now, if you go in there, you just buy a little piece of plastic with a download code. Because... I mean, I guess the only reason that even exists is because some people still want to pay cash and they don't just download stuff directly. I would totally imagine, given enough time, the same thing is going to happen for board games. I mean, that won't always be the case, but there will be a time when everybody has a 3D printer in their house because 3D printers will become as ubiquitous as having regular printers. It's going to take a couple of decades at least. I mean, easily. So we're talking 30, 40 years in the future when the latest Stefan Feld comes out, because he'll still be putting out two or three <laughs> games a year somehow. Uh, you will go to the publisher's website, you will buy it, and you will download the files and print it out yourself. I do believe that is the future, because there will be a time when you'll print it out yourself, and it will literally take 20 minutes to print everything out, and they will be as high quality as anything we can buy today. That's what's going to happen, but that's a long ways off. Uh, and the reason it'll happen is because everybody will have a 3D printer whenever they, I don't know, need to make their own copies of their own keys. Uh, we'll be able to make, we'll have 3D printers that print metal or some kind of plastic that is strong as metal to be able to use for keys or for you know anything that you need in your life. I mean, it's just it's just the natural progression of the retail sector getting destroyed and gobbled up by Amazon. You know, eventually, you're just going to go to Amazon. To either they'll mail stuff to you if you can't print it out, or you'll print it. Or there'll be an option. Fast print or slow having to wait till tomorrow to show up in the mail. That is what the future is going to be. And then we'll move on to replicators. Um, he's wondering if Wingspan has any take that... No, it does not. Are there any cards that directly hurt your opponents? I know there are not. There are no direct attack cards in that game whatsoever. Although, you didn't have to ask me. You didn't have to wait. Because when did you write this? You wrote this question like weeks ago. You could have asked this question on Board Game. You can have your answer immediately. But, say lovey. Alrighty. Moving on to Brett. Brett says, If we made content... Oh, boy. I remember this one. Well, I I have no answer to this. Honey, you're going to have to tell me. If we made contact with intelligent extraterrestrial life, if humanity made contact. And we, you and I, were chosen to be the ambassador Whoa. to introduce these aliens to the concept of human play. What game would we introduce? 
Now, I, I, you have to say soccer, unfortunately. You know, either soccer or chess, because there's so much history and so much more broad pop culture awareness. But I know that's not what your question is. What board game? Which means we can't actually truly adhere to the nature of your question, um, because board games do not, at this point, represent the lion's share of human society. I, it would have to be soccer or chess as the two most played games in the world, probably. Or, you know, certainly in the running for the two most played games in the world that bring more humans together to share an engaged, fun community, or, you know, activity than anything else in the world. Putting that stuff aside and saying, hey, what designer board game? Because wouldn't that be much cooler? Um, hmm. Hmm. To introduce to humanity... To alien kind. To, yeah, to alien kind, to, to, to what humanity is all about. I mean... You know, if you want to be cynical, it should be diplomacy or some backstabby type game or some war game. But that's not what I'm interested because in, that's not what humanity is about. That's an aberration from the true human spirit. Well, because our, the reason our, our you know, our uh, species has dominated this planet is because more often than not, we work together. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to get where we are if we didn't work together. Sure, sometimes we work together to clonk the other guy on the head, but still, that sentence starts with working together. So. It would have to be, I would say, I'd want it to be a cooperative game, in all honesty. And I think it'd probably have to be some kind of social party game that I can't think of the name of, because Jen and I never play those. But, you know, I don't know, something like Codenames. Not Codenames. But something where everybody is brought together to work towards a communal goal and have fun and engage in social banter and uh, fun sharing along the way. And that's going to be some kind of party game. Preferably not two rooms and a boom. Because again, ideally it'd be something that doesn't have you know the undercurrent of violence underneath it. Something that is positive and uplifting. I'm not sure what that would be, but it would be something like that. So you don't want to play Dixit with them? Dixit would be interesting. <laughs> there would be no common framework, though. But... <sighs> um, well, then... then yeah, okay, then Codenames. Codenames, Pictures. Because Codenames Pictures is two teams. It'd be a human team using our human language to figure out these pictures. Mm -hmm. And it would be an alien team using their alien language to try and find some commonality between these pictures. And you know what? It could be a special version where half the pictures are our stuff and half the pictures are alien stuff. Oh my god, that's what it would be. Thank you, Honey Pie. That is perfect. It would be codename, it would be a special deluxe version of codenames where 50 per, codename pictures where 50% of the cards are alien artifacts and elements and whatnot. That would be that would be it. That that's perfect. Oh man, I would not have gotten that without you, Honey Pie. Woo. Good stuff. Alrighty. I I, I I challenge somebody to come up with a better answer than that. That's fantastic. Okay. Next up, we've got Rich. Who uh, wonders? He's from the land of song. Uh, Cardiff. That's what it says, the land of it song. It is, you're right. Yes, I didn't read the whole thing. I mentioned on the show that I thought that some of the rules in Gloomhaven could have been different or improved. Not to put me on the spot and ripping the game apart, but when Jan and I play, do we instigate the rules? Instigate? I assume you mean follow the rules. As you feel they should be adapted. Oh, do we change the rules? Or do you omit rules? Or do you play by the book? We play by the book. Hmm. Uh, pretty much. There are a very small number of instances where we will change the rules. And continue to play. Because uh, you know, I'm a former game designer myself. And my firm belief is, you know what? 
The designer of this game has been working on this design for years. He has put it through hundreds, if not thousands, of playtest sessions and honed it to get it to its ideal place. And who am I (laughs) to come along and say, nope, that's wrong. Uh, let me show you how it's done. Here, hold my beer, or whatever that phrase is. Uh, let me, you know, I, I, no, I, it, it seems wrong to me. If we play a game and we don't like it, we just say, okay, you know, this is probably, likely, still the best version of the game that this can be, and it just isn't for us. Let's move on to another game rather than change this game. And the reason for that is because. If I change the rules of the game, I will be forever wondering in the back of my mind, have we made the game worse? Have we fundamentally unbalanced it in a way that is not immediately apparent to us and will take dozens of plays until we realize, oh my gosh, yeah, this game is actually worse because of this change we made. That's why I have zero interest in variants. I can give you a good example. Probably the biggest variant we make is the way we play Time Stories where we do that little shared person mm-hmm. who yeah. we can send back and forth to. It's a total set of rules that I pretty much made up uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with the real game. And we play it because it's the only way we can make time stories fun. And so I have to do it because I want to play time stories. But I know for a fact that variant totally destroys the in-game scoring uh, because you know the game scores you based on how well you did. And I know it's com- we just completely throw that out the window. It means nothing because we're effectively cheating. So, I mean, and, and I, I'm a bummer by that because I would like to actually get scored. I would like to know how, what do we do? But I know we can't because we're playing with a homemade variant. And um, it's very rare that we'll do that. Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm totally a by-the-book guy. You know, uh, stick to the script. Alrighty. Moving on. Alejandro says that... Back in January, Jamie Stegmeyer posted a letter regarding issues with the current status of the industry overall, regarding difficulties determining the demand and constraints related to it. Uh, apparently it was an open letter to distributors and retailers from Stonemeyer Games. I have not read this. I understand that the board gaming market is difficult, uh, and each product is unique, and that alone makes it hard to predict demand. Do you feel that some of the issues the industry faces are similar to what you encountered throughout your video game career? Do you have any take on what could be improved to mitigate this problem? Um... Yes, there's an easy solution for this. And I've often uh, espoused its virtues, and I have no idea why not all publishers switch over to this mode exclusively. And that mode is Kickstarter. All board games should be Kickstarted, quite frankly. No publisher should take that kind of risk. Jamie, who famously walked away from Kickstarter, I should go back to Kickstarter, because a Kickstarter takes that risk out. You put your best foot forward as to, hey, this is what I uh, what I am presenting to you as a game. Players decide if they want to buy it, and they put their money where their mouth is. And then the publisher knows whether they need a 5,000 game print run, or a 10,000 game print run, or a 500 game print run. That's how everybody should do it. It's just dumb not to. It's just dumb. So, yeah, it's an easy, instant solution. Um... I, unfortunately, I don't think that would work in the video game industry because the overhead involved, it, it costs tens, and nowadays, hundreds of millions of dollars to develop a AAA video game. Um, and you can't get hundreds of millions of dollars in advanced pre-sales. I mean, I guess you could. I guess you could say, hey, everybody, this is the game. This is what our game is going to be, our Grand Theft Auto Killer. We're going to have it done in five years. 
<laughs> Would you like to give us some kind of indication of how much money we should spend on development based on how many of you are willing to give us money right now? Yep. I guess you could do that. But again, the time scale is so crazy different. You know, it takes these days three, four, five years to develop a big game like that. It takes, you know, a 16 to 18 months for a board game. Um, and plus, most of the board game work you can do long before you ever go to Kickstarter. And, you know, and the cost, I mean, it's just the, the economy of scale, it just won't work. So it's, it's a different beast, I think, just because of the nature of the industry the, 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 and the, what it takes to actually make one of these games. Okie doke. Let's see here. Oh, oh do you have another question? <clears throat> you mentioned in a previous podcast that you are running more videos than you had planned. Or running through more games, yeah. Considering the time it takes to edit videos, do you feel that a newsletter to cover games from the rundown format or other material would be a better solution? Jen could be your editor! And you could have your own section, including her wise phrase of the month. Alrighty. Um, name of it would be Board Games and Beagles. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could do that, but in all honesty, most people don't want to read my content. Most people don't want written reviews or run-throughs from me. People... These days, I think it's the minority that wants written. Most people want video. And that's only going to continue as more and more people get used to consuming their content on YouTube rather than USA Today. That's the future. There's no toys about it. And so I don't think that necessarily makes sense. That said, since you brought the topic up, the original concept for these rundowns I'm doing now was a very, very different thing. What I was originally going to do was... At, literally, right after Jen and I played a game, I would just pull the camera out and, and say, hey, here's what the game looks like. We just played it. It was fun. Here's a rundown. They're going to be like two or three minutes long. And then I was just going to compile them all into one show at the end of the month, which was basically just going to be saying, hey, here's everything we played this month. And I did a few run-throughs, but the rundown is just what we played this month, just a couple of minutes so you can see what it looks like and whether we liked it or not. They were going to be pretty much straight-up little mini-reviews. But then I had the idea, well, you know what? Um, as a Patreon reward, I could let folks see those videos early. Um, you know, if they, if they back at the Runner Plus level. And so, I, okay, let's do that. That's fine. And I'll still just put them all into one video at the end. But then I thought, rather than having all into one video, I could just make a playlist so they could still stand on their own. And going through these machinations, if, if you go back and look at the first rundown that I did, I think it was for... That little dice game, Space Base. For the first couple of them that I did, I had a rule, they're not going to be longer than five minutes. And I think Space Base is under five minutes. I think maybe the first couple were under five minutes. And um, that's because I was just really harsh. And But I did try to do a little bit more than just say, hey, here's what the game looks like and what we thought. I tried to do, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to show, I'm going to tell less than show what the game actually plays like. But it just kept evolving. And it's like, that was so hard to do to try to sum up a game in half of a turn. And nowadays, my rundowns run about 20 minutes. <laughs> so it's ridiculous. Every day, they're just getting closer and closer <laughs> to being run throughs. And the entire original point was lost. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to finish this year out doing them this way. Uh, and it means this year, it, it, the whole point of these rundowns was it's supposed to be so easy. Look, I'm still covering all these games that Jen and I have played, but I only do like 10 actual run-throughs. And then I just do this little variety show thing. But now I'm, I'm filming more games than I did last year. So that did not work. And I'm more stressed than ever before. So next year, 
you know, next starting next May, I think the rundowns are going to stop, and I'm going to be no. Uh, it is going to be look. Here's the game, Gen I. We just played it. Here's what we liked, and that's it. No even hint of a run through in there. And at the end of the month, all these things will be put together in one video, not something to be split apart. It'd be very similar. To John Gets Games, he that's a, a YouTube channel, very good YouTube channel, John Gets Games, he does a monthly summary of, hey, here's all the games I played. And he just puts an image of the box cover and talks about the game and gives each game a couple of minutes. It's going to be something more like that, except I plan on actually having the game on the screen and showing this stuff at the very least. I think that's going to have to happen, because I'm killing myself. And I promised I wasn't going to kill myself anymore, and I'm killing myself more. Uh, to be fair... It's also killing myself less because filming in this room with everything set up all the time makes filming a lot easier. So hey, my life has gotten better, but my life has gotten worse because my rundown means I'm covering more games than ever before. And I just cannot do it, Captain. I don't have the power. (laughs) So things are going to change. But anyway. uh, all right. Oh, hey, was that it? I think so. Yeah, that was... Alejandro with the uh, with the journal question. Okay, that's it for game question, folks. If you hold on for a little bit, we'll be right back with some personal questions. And if you don't care about that, then as always, thanks very much for listening. Please send... That was not very many questions. We need more questions, folks. This show relies on you because I'm too lazy to come up with topics on my own. So questions to, as always, questions at rotto.com. And now, after this, whatever it's going to be, we'll be back with the personal Q&A. Hold on, everybody. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Daisy has joined us, and she is staring soulfully into my eyes, wondering if she can come over and beard me. But, sorry, Daisy, we got work to do. Yep. Save bearding for later. Okay, Neil, honey pie, wonders. What were the books that meant the most to each of us growing up? Say, up to the age of 18. So, for the first 18 years of your life, what were the most important and meaningful books to you? Okay, uh, I am going to say Catch-22 by Joseph Heller and The Watchmen by Alan Moore. Uh, uh, the World According to Garp by, is that Ken Kesey? I think that's Ken Kesey. No, 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 no. Uh, Sometimes a Great Notion by Ken Kesey and The World According to Garp by, I can't, oh man, I, I've read, I used to read all, oh, what is it, oh, John Irving, John Irving by John Irving. Uh, let's see. Yeah, those are my four. Those are, those are the ones that jump out to me that I think had the most impact on my worldview as I was developing a worldview. Still got nothing, honey? Oh. It's, it's okay to say no books were of a particular importance to my process of growing up. You, you can say that if you want. I'm, I'm... I don't think the people will think less of you. I'll shut the hell up and let you talk. <laughs> I'm going to say that I had more informative books when I was younger. I think once I reached junior high and high school, I was busy reading whatever the assigned books were. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I totally grokked them in the way that I would have grokked them a little later in life. It's fine. Um, So my books tend to be younger. So I'm going to say The Secret Garden 
by maybe. Francis Hodgkin Burnett. Okay. Um, was very, and maybe part of the reason I love England so much. Ah. A little bit of early Englanding there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved the Black Stallion books as a kid, but I was horse crazy. <laughs> I read all of them, had all of them. Um, got them at the Scholastic Book Fair every year. Um, I can remember things like Charlotte's Web being mm -hmm. really important. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, um, I think, a very important book about kindness. Um, and I, let, I, I read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, probably, I don't know, every year when I was younger, mm -hmm. from 10 to 18. Or all three books? Um, well, The Hobbit was my favorite, but yeah, I would say all, all. So all four books? All four books, yeah. You read all four books every year? I'm not going to say every year, like I started on January 1st or anything, but <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, my parents had them, so I would read them. Well, then how many times would you say you have read the uh, the collected works of... Well, okay, no. You've read The Silmarillion. Or no, you, I remember you said you tried to read The Silmarillion. Yeah, I got going on it. But it, there was a lot of... I mean, it's just like, oh my God. I, yeah, that's he begat that and this and that. Yeah. And names and names and lineage names. Names. Yep. Yep. So I enjoyed some of the stories that were referenced in, in the main books uh -huh. from that. But Oh, in the appendixes or whatever? Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, just yeah. could not keep track of everybody who ever lived. Yeah, it's a little dense. Yes. Um... Yeah, so I guess, you know, just thinking back about what things pop into my mind, those are the things that well, pop in. That, so. uh, whatever popped in your mind, that would be the definition of what had an impact on you. It's interesting. I mean, so most of your stuff was before you're under 12. And most of my stuff was basically 12 to 15 or 16. Uh, almost That's when I was reading all that stuff I just said. Yeah, but that was before you moved to Belfair and had to be social. Well, yeah, no, well, it's, in my young, you know, if I'm talking pre-10, I probably couldn't think of anything. Maybe Hardy Boys. I think I read a few of those, maybe. Mm. But I don't think I even cared. I think I just did it because I liked the Hardy Boys TV show that was on in the 70s with the big hair, the big 70s hair. <laughs> and um, But mostly, I, oh, this is like Scooby-Doo, but there aren't any Scooby-Doo books, so I guess I'll read these Hardy Boy books because I really love Scooby-Doo. But when we moved on the boat, and so from, I guess that must have been from when I was 10 to 13 or 14 or something like that, I, and suddenly I, I didn't have friends. Uh, you know, I, my entire life changed. That uh, uh, the only books I had available to me, because often we were living, we were living off the grid, so we didn't have TV anymore. And um, you know, I did have a computer. I spent a lot of time on my TN994A, but there was often a lot, not a lot to do. So I read my parents' books, and my parents had, you know, they they had a lot. I read a lot of Steinbeck, and I, I actually I thought about putting Cannery Row on my list as well. Um, you know, and they, and they had Joseph Heller. They had all these books that were like a really big deal in the sixties uh, and seventies. And that's what I read. And I read these books many times over and over again. And they really kind of impacted my worldview. Yeah. Actually, I remember when we first met, I don't think I'd read, I, I mean, World According to Garp had come out as a movie, Yeah. I think in 87 or mm -hmm. something like that. So I'd definitely seen that. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't think I'd read A Prayer for Own Meaning, and I was blown away. Yeah, I think because I introduced you. Yeah, you introduced me to that. Yeah, because I, I, at that point, I, I read all of his books up to and including Son of the Circus. And I haven't read anything since because... Oh, Dick Francis books. Oh, yes, I yeah. You, you devoured those. Because, again, you were horse crazy. Yep, well, and Dad really liked Dick Francis, so he had quite a few of those books. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of fun. Again, an English thing. Yep, yep, yep. 
Yeah, but yeah, so as a you know, so I don't have the equivalent of Charlotte's Web or anything like that because I was a TV junkie as a young kid. Oh yeah. And you know, any reading I was doing was basically just to supplement that. <laughs> it was literally there was a brief moment in our window where I mean, Mom was talking about this the other day. How you know, when we were living out, we we to to recharge our boat's batteries, we had to just you know go out and and literally kind of illicitly plug our battery chargers in to charge our boat batteries. So we couldn't watch TV very much, and so I read a yeah. lot then. And they were not. Landlocked. They had to row the boat. Yes, we had to row the boat land. Uh huh. To go and find an outlet to charge our boat's batteries. And then they had to row them back. Yep. And get them up the ladder. Yep. 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 Crazy. Good times. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that's when I became an avid reader. And I guess I stayed an avid reader all the way through college because you know when, I mean I, was, I mean I mean I'm, yeah you, you used to I, read a lot. I, I used to rent books. Yep. Um, because I couldn't I couldn't afford to buy the hardbacks and I didn't want to wait till they came into softback so I would actually rent the hard book hardback books. But yeah, at some point, I think when I started working full time in the video game industry, I just didn't have time to read anymore. I just kind of lost it for a brief window. When we got our first e-reader, remember that Brink e-reader I had? Yeah. Uh, it was like a promotional item for one of the games I was working on, Brink. And they said, "Hey, we got these extra e-readers." And I go, "Well, I'll get one." Oh, it's got my game's logo on it. And and for like three months, I started reading books again like crazy because I was just kind of the the new technology and all that. But then my Brink e-reader got stolen at yeah, LAX. Airport, yeah. And then I just instantly fell off the wagon again. But, um, yeah, but I, man, I was reading a lot. I read The Road. That was really amazing. Um, but anyway, so, I, yeah. I, I think we've answered Neil's question. Yes. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, I read so much. But, um, yeah. What were, honey... Yes. Your favorite bands slash music when you grew up? Oh, I love the Go-Go's. The Go-Go's. Loved Rick Springfield. But now that would be in your teen years, right? The Go-Go's yeah. weren't when you were kids. I guess so. Yeah, well, when I was like All right. 10, so, 12. Okay. Go-Go's, Rick Springfield. Yeah. Um, Corey Hart. I remember mm-hmm. I had a crush on him. Oh, mm-hmm. Corey Hart. What about in your pre-crush days? You mean when I was... That would be Neil Diamond and Elvis, probably, because that's what... That's what your parents listened to? And, you know, all those kind of 70s songs that you... Sometimes if you go to a 70s radio station, you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> Sounds of the 70s. Yep. All right. So basically whatever was on the radio when yeah. you were a kid. Oh, but okay. So can I say the AM, FM thing? I don't think you can. Okay. I mean. Well, it was just when you're a kid, it, it's complete innocence and it just doesn't yep. mean anything. So anyway, it doesn't matter. We if you ever meet Jen in person, folks, you can ask her, what's the AM, FM thing? <laughs> I don't think I want to. Uh, I mean, I know. Some families watch this, listen to this show, quite frankly. Yeah. And let's just say Jen's was sister was uh, perhaps not particularly woke back in the 70s. Woke? Meaning aware of what yeah. she was saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. It's all her fault. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So, so anyway. So now Ron, Ron listens to this. He's going to go, what did you tell your sister about AM, FM? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see if she remembers. And does Ron listen to the podcast? Yeah. I'm sure. he Does he? Yeah, I think the kids also Ron? Hi, Zane and Zoe. When the kids aren't around... Ask Becky about AMFM, because the kids should not hear it. But Zane and Zoe don't listen to this, do they? I believe that at least Zane does. Oh my gosh, Zane, wipe everything we just talked about from <laughs> your from your mind. I had no idea. All right, alrighty. Anyway, that's my niece and nephew, you guys. By yes. the way, yes. Um, let's see here. So, oh, so, hi, Ron. Uh, you know, so eighties era teeny bopper, specifically Rick Springfield, yeah. Go Go's, yep. Corey Hart. And um, prior to that, whatever your parents were listening to on the uh, on the radio in the seventies. Yep. And oh, and my sister loved stuff like Pink Floyd and um, it's not Def Leppard, it's um, uh, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, thank yeah. you. But would those be 
in your favorites? No, I have one Pink Floyd song I like. Yeah. Um, so in the 70s, do you have a favorite that you remember from all that? Yeah. Um, oh, no, you said Neil Diamond. Well, Neil Diamond, yeah, that's definitely good. But um, what's that song about the sunshine that I like so much? Blue Sky... Um, Shining on me, nothing but blue no, skies. No, do no, I no, see? No, 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 blue sky. Oh, you now you've stuck a different song in my head. <laughs> Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, Mr. Blue Sky. Oh. Oh yeah. Um. Oh oh oh, is that ELO? No. I think it is. Yeah, I think so. I I, I can hear it in my head now, but yeah. I can't think of any of the lyrics. Yeah. Da da do do do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep yep. All right. Um, for me. Mr. Blue, you did it right. But then comes Mr. Knight. Yeah. Creeping over now. His hand is on my shoulder. Never mind. Okay. Anyway. That's a good song. That's yeah. an excellent song. It's a very cheerful song. Um, let's see. For me, as a kid in the 70s, born in 69, growing up in the 70s, pretty much the same as Jen in that, you know, it's whatever our parents chose to have on the radio is what we listened to. We didn't really yeah. have much agency in the <laughs> music arena until yeah. we hit our teen years. So, but for me, unlike Jen, who apparently your parents were listening to the equivalent of pop, yeah. You know, top 20 billboard radio stuff. Yeah. I grew up in a household where we listened to nothing but country and western. Woohoo. So I could recite to you pretty <laughs> much the entire catalog of the Oak Ridge Boys or Tammy Wynette or, um, you, know, you know, anything. Um, and tell them how you won my heart. How did I win your heart? With the... I was thumbing through the... the uh, C.W. McCall? Yeah. The song? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I know a bunch of C.W. McCall trucking songs, too, um, that are kind of like country and western rap, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and Jen, I sung one for Jen, and she really liked it, and apparently I won her heart with that. Not yep. quite sure why. Oh, it's just adorable. I'm pretty yeah. sure you've had me sing that on the podcast at some point in the past. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, it was a lot of country and western. And I remember, amongst all of that... The one song that really just spoke to me, because at the end of the day, I'm not a country and western fan. It's all I knew. <laughs> and, you know, so, I mean, I, I you know, Elvira, <laughs> my heart's on fire. Elvira, giddy up, boom, bop, bop. You know, all that stuff. It's like, okay, I, I know it all. But the one that really jumped out at me was Queen of Hearts by Juice Newton. Mm. Because that was a crossover. That was one of those fabled crossover hits. That was, you know, a precursor to Taylor Swift. And that was a pop song that they just happened to play on the country and western because Juice Newton, I don't know why. And that was a big deal for me because, like, I like that sound. Why can't we listen to more of the stuff that sounds like that? And and uh, less of Conway Twitty. Um, so that was a big, big deal for me. And uh, but and like Jed said, you know, eventually we got into our teen years and we started choosing for ourselves. Yep. And you went hardcore... 80s scrunchy hair coming out of the side of your head and leg warmings type stuff. <laughs> yeah. Me, I I was aware of all of that, but I very quickly became a snob because I discovered the Beatles and I got so hardcore into the Beatles and I went down to a used record store and bought every album they ever did and I transposed them or I, I re-recorded them onto cassette tapes and I just listened to all of them over and over and over Again, for years, I can pretty much uh, re recite any Beatles song uh, verbatim from start to finish. And, um, and I was so snobby. Oh, well, I, I, liked, I like music with real instruments. Uh, sorry, aha. Uh -huh. I don't think I'm going to take on you at this mm. point. And now, now I'm sorry, because that, that you know, Take On Me is an amazing song. There was so, Erasure, all of these songs were amazing. And I was just like too snooty to appreciate them at the time because <laughs> I was so hardcore. And just for the Beatles. But that means I'm an, I, I completely miss Zeppelin. I had never heard a Led Zeppelin song in probably till college, you know, in the late 80s and, um, you know, and, and all of that. So 
I, I guess that's kind of my story. I can't think of anything else. Okay. All righty. Hopefully that answered your question sufficiently, Neil. All right. And then Ben, well, yeah, Ben says, several podcasts ago, I said I could ar- argue how great The Last Jedi was on uh. some podcast in the future with, I had meant to do it on the Weekly Album, which is a show, uh, YouTube live streaming conversation show I, I do sometimes on Wednesdays. And Lance, the Undead Viking, is vehemently opposed to The Last Jedi. And of course, I love it. I've seen it seven times now. I love it so much. I, I'd happily watch it right now. It is literally one of the best movies I've seen in years. I, I have a hard time not saying it is the best Star Wars film of all time. Quite frankly, it is that good. But anyway, uh, so Ben points out I, I would um, I, I would get into a big knockdown brouhaha and, and articulate all my feelings on it. I have not done that. But what I have done, uh, because Ben and several other people have requested this, you can go to guild.rado.com and go into the other stuff subform. I forget what it's called. But basically, up near the top of of non-game related or, or other topics, off-topic, that's what it is. Go to guild.rado.com and go to off-topic. You will find a thread called Last Jedi Blathering. <laughs> and you will find, I don't know, probably three or 4,000 words worth of stuff I have written up on all the various topics of Last Jedi, contradicting every single um, weird... In, in my opinion, incorrect take on the film. And if you really want to see an absolutely abject, ridiculous deep dive into nerddom, that's there waiting for you. And the ironic thing is, I'm not even that big a Star Wars nerd. I'm much more of a Star Trek guy. So don't even get me started on how awesome Into Darkness is, because Into Darkness is awesome, as is Disco. But anyway, um, Ben, that's there available for you. I hope you enjoy it. Anybody else, if you just want to see some Star Trek mania, it's there for you. Star Wars? Star Wars, yes. Alrighty. And, uh, moving on. Lance, not Undead Viking, but a different Lance, says, totally coincidentally, what were our favorite books as children? No. Did we answer that? I believe we did. Did we? I guess so, yeah. Well, there was formative ones. Yeah, it was, oh, it was kind of formative, but it was kind of the same thing. You certainly did. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Hopefully, Lance, you can tell us whether we answered that question to your satisfaction earlier. Alrighty. Aside from board games... Lance's other hobbies include comic books and wrestling. Have either of us read comics before? Duck has got lots of. I was comics. gonna let Jen go first. Oh. I have no. no idea. I don't think you have. I, there were some comic books around when I was a kid, and I think I remember the Super Friends ones. Mm-hmm. But, eh. Mm-hmm. Eh. Mm-hmm. Eh. Mm-hmm. Eh. No care. Don't care for it. No, and I. I think I sort of tried to watch do the Watchmen. Because that's, I know this is really big, and we have this big, thick Watchmen comic book still in the attic in Guilford, I think. <laughs> so I, I think I tried to start reading that, I just... It's too dark for you. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jen is a... a but do you like the superhero movies? Of course, yeah. Now that you like Thor so much, would you read a Thor comic book? You know, I don't think I would. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I either want to... Got too many grown-up books to read? I want pictures, or I want words. But pictures with words? It's the best of both. Well, I might as well have subtitles on then and watch a movie. No, because you can still hear them in your head. Your your imagination is still engaged in much the same way. Mm. But it's supplemented by images which are not just... Ran- I mean, but which are handcrafted by an artist over and over and over again to enhance, you know, the overall aesthetic and appeal of... I mean... <sighs> 
I've been trying to get her to read um, um, Why the Last Man for years. I think she would love it. Whoa, I don't even remember this. Um, I, 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 it's, it's, it's been sitting on your um, <laughs> desktop, your Windows desktop. I bet you it's there right oh. now. <laughs> it's been sitting on your Windows desktop for probably 15 years now. What I the think. heck? What? And maybe you eventually deleted it because you didn't it? know what it was. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a comic book series. And it's awesome. It's not on there. But yeah, okay. Well, for a long time it was on there. Well, anyway. I had no idea. I no, did, I, no, you did have an idea because I tried no, to get you to talk it. I have no, 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 zero recollection of this at all. Because you dismissed it out of hand and you probably did a, yeah, okay, whatever, I'll read it. I'll just leave it there. And then you forgot about it for years. And now eventually at some point it got deleted. But anyway, um, yeah, so Jen has nothing to say about comics. <laughs> I've been a lifelong avid comic fan. Although in my preteen days, Comics were just an occasional reward I could get. If we went to the store and I had been really good, you know, Ryan, he would want to get um, candy bars and I would want to get a comic book. And so, I mean, there's no consistency to it whatsoever. Uh, my favorite characters, it was always Spider-Man, has always been Spider-Man, will always be Spider-Man. And, uh, but in high school, in addition to reading tons and tons of actual literature, I also read tons and tons of comic books. That was... It was my weekly pilgrimage. We lived in Belfair. My parents would drive me to Bremerton, and I would get on the ferry and take the ferry by myself, which was a pretty big deal as a 14, 15-year-old kid. I'd get to go into the big city by myself. Woo. I would get off the ferry terminal, walk to the Pike Place Market, to Golden Age Collectibles, and buy my, I don't know, 20 or 30 bucks worth of comics every, every week that I would get. And uh, bring them back and read them on the ferry and all of that. By the time I went to college, I had so many comics. It was absolutely ridiculous. And, and what happened to them? I, I sold them all. I oh, sold. I thought your mom just threw them away. No, 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 no. That was a totally different thing. Uh, I must have been nine or ten, and we were really bad. Ryan and I were really bad. I, we did some bad stuff, and uh, as punishment, mom threw away all of our Star Wars trading cards because I had the whole things that I was going to be able to send in for the Star Wars poster and all that. And those trading cards, I can't even imagine how much they'd be worth now. But And they were in good condition, but Mom threw them all away. But no, um, I sold them when I went off to college. because I made, And I made a ton of money off them, but oh my God, how much money I'd make now. I had original first print, you know, super limited edition Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, that 500 print run um, before it became what it is. I had original first run of The Dark Knight and uh, Secret Wars, and oh my god. And I, I made a fair bit of money off of all that, but I can't even, I, I don't even want to think about how much we could make if I still had all that stuff. Ugh. Um, well, but anyway. it paid for part of your college tuition, right? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Uh, because, and yeah. And if you hadn't gone to college, we never would have met. Yes. All right, then. So, I would. I owe my whole life to comic books, you're saying. There you go. Okay. Uh, anyway, I eventually stopped. I, I think I did stop in college, because I just didn't have enough money to because I had to, the money I made for my spare jobs had to pay for food and <laughs> um, and gasoline instead of comic books, uh, um, right? And I did briefly get back into comics pretty hard when we were in Texas, and that's when I got very hardcore into Garth Ennis and everything he did, uh, you know, Preacher and and all of that. And then, but then that stopped when we moved to England because there were no good comic book stars nearby. And then a few years ago, I kind of got into them again as digital comics kind of became a thing. But these days, the only thing I read are The Walking Dead and Saga, whenever Saga picks back up because it's on hiatus now. That's pretty much it. I was, for a brief moment, 
uh, Civil War brought me back into Marvel big time. But then, um, one more year. Sorry to all the non-comic book fans out there. This is just for Lance. One more year killed me. Or no, no. One more year kind of turned me off. But then uh, Secret Wars 3 just instantly killed me. Like, oh, Marvel, they've, they've done it. They've completely rebooted the universe. They, they swore they'd never do it on like DC. They kept doing it every other year. They've done it. I'm out. And so now I'm just walking dead. So I'm sorry, folks, to all the non-comic book readers. That was a bunch of blither blather. Um, back to Lance's thing. Have we ever watched wrestling? Have we ever uh, any interest in wrestling, honey? No. Could, would you like to articulate why? Oh, I just... I just... You have nothing positive to say. No, I just don't... It's not my kind of theater. Mm-hmm. So, no. Yep. I can't really say I got into it either. I was a little kid. I thought it was real. And I remember I, I, my Uncle Jim told me, and I was so shocked when I found out it wasn't real. Although, it is real to a certain extent. I mean, yeah, it's pre-scripted. But, I mean, those guys are putting their lives on the line every time they go in the ring. I mean, uh, you know, it's more dangerous than, you know, all that stuff. Um, so, I, But I never really... I got into it a little bit in the 80s, you know, the height of WrestleMania and stuff like that. But I was never hardcore into it. I was definitely World Wildlife Federation. <laughs> yeah, you were pro that WWF? Yep. yep. I'm glad they got the logo. Yeah, yeah! All right. So... Uh, let's see here. Phil says, T-T-T-T. oh, oh, th- that was his question about, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, this was a different thing. Honey. Yes. You get to make one change by heading back in time, changing something, then coming back. When do you head and what do you change? And what do you head to achieve? Wow. I don't know. I, that. That is huge. That is... For the purposes of this question, only the intended changes will occur, and you get a reset oh. button to return to how things are once the change has been experienced. Oh. Uh, a, a hint. What would you like to see changed in history? Is another way to look at oh, it. Oh, so it's not what I would change in my personal life. It's what I would change in history. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it could be personal. He just says anywhere in history. It could be kill baby Hitler, or it could be um, don't roll that car in high school. Yeah. Um. Wow. I don't know. I'd have to think. About I'm pretty happy with my life as it is, so I don't think I'd probably change. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't squander the opportunity. And, and unfortunately, I'm not enough of a student of history. I would want to do something that's really impactful and meaningful that could, you know, make society better. But I have no idea what that is. That would require a oh, lot of study. Here we go. How about if we just go back to Jesus with a video camera and <laughs> record what he actually said? Okay. All right. So you're not even changing anything. You just want to go back and document. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then we would have what actually Jesus meant. When or whoever the historical personage who has become Jesus. Right. Um, you know, in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Because I think just... Over- whoever was the inspiration for the, the stories and fables of Jesus. Sorry, religious folks. Uh, we can agree to disagree. Yeah, that's, that's a cool idea. Just document proof. Yeah. That, but the problem is... The problem with that is... You know, religion runs on faith, and you're kind of destroying the tenet of faith because they, they, you know, they, they you know, that that's kind of the quasi insidious thing about religion that they wear their lack of actual true yeah. empirical evidence as a no. It, uh, the fact that we have no empirical evidence is a good thing because it means that you have to commit yourself and give up your faith on faith. Um, so it means it's more meaningful and real and, and spiritually satisfying and fulfilling for you. If you're just doing it because you know that you'll go to hell, um, you know, if you, if you don't follow the Ten Commandments because you actually literally saw 
um, Moses come down and yeah, you saw the lightning strike that, you know, if you know, then, then faith is meaningless. So I don't know what kind of impact that would have. Well, I, I was thinking more in terms of seeing how Jesus actually treated people. Yeah. And, you know, if people want to base their life about what some guy 2000 years yeah. did, you know, 2000 years ago, then let's actually see what he did. But why Jesus is not the prophet Muhammad. Fine. Or Buddha. All of them. All of them. All of them. That's what I want. I want, you want you, you're, not, you're not even wanting to change anything. You just want to go back with an iPhone and enough battery charge yep. to... Uh, to spend 24 hours with each of them. Yeah. And you, you just want to do interviews with them. Sure. All right. Yep. That, that's great. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's more interesting to me. Uh, um, going back and changing. Uh, yeah, because I, I just like to go back to the beginning and, you know, and, uh, and you know, get an under, you know, answer the question of what was here before the Big Bang. Huh? You know, nothing. When time didn't exist, and therefore nothing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But again, that's not changing something. And but again, I I think it's easy for us to kind of, or it's hard for us to answer that because we're neither of us are history buffs. So I, I can't point to anything about the Archduke Ferdinand or mm. you know, I mean, because yeah, you could say kill Hitler, but you know that wouldn't change the social, economical, political structure of Germany that allowed Hitler to rise to power and who's to say somebody even worse wouldn't have come along at, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's hard to say. Yeah. Alrighty. Questions from, uh, your ins, mostly for Jen. You talked about animal captivity and I was wondering if you're a vegetarian and if not, have you ever considered it? I have definitely considered it. Oh, okay. I am not. Um, but what I do believe about eating animals is trying to give them the best life that they, you know, ha could possibly have. So, mm -hmm. like, when I, I'm just about going to have some chickens, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm planning now how to give them a really good life. Uh, we'll, you know, keep them for years and years. Um, feed them the best that we possibly can. Give them tons of fresh air and exercise and uh, things to play with and... Yeah, hopefully just give them a good life. And mm -hmm. when the time comes, make sure that their deaths are um, fully utilized. Nothing goes to waste. So I think that is the best way to honor life. And I wish we could do that more with people. Uh, I think it's a bit sad to see people sort of wasting away in nursing homes when there's, you know, their best days are definitely not ahead of them. So, I, you know, I don't know. I wonder if there's going to be a lot of change with the baby boomers coming up and, and growing older that maybe we might see some change in how we treat humans that way as well. Mm. Okay. All righty. Well, that was mostly for you. Oh, that was it? That was the one personal question? Uh, oh. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's what you want to know. Okay. Okay. So you said you have considered vegetarianism. Yeah. And why did you dismiss it? Um, mainly because I think we are evolved to eat meat. Right. And I, I want to live a healthy life myself. Because, uh, so you are saying on a carnivorous diet for lit literally for health reasons. If, if it weren't for the fact that yes, um, you know, the human species evolved yeah. on a diet predominantly of meat and, you know, or, you know yeah, and, and, and saturated fat. And that's for, therefore, what we should eat to basically extend our lives as long as possible and be as healthy as possible. If what, if you could have the argument made to you that, oh, no, 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 it turns out that you could be equally healthy on a vegetarian diet, would you switch over? Um, I think I would have to be convinced and also it would have to taste good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because 
I do enjoy cooking and I do enjoy eating. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have to all work together. Okay. But, I mean, I think we're pretty low on the carnivorous ladder, if you will, in that a lot of people will just go out and have a, you know, a pound steak or whatever. Um, whereas I know that we need about 100 grams of protein per meal. And so we eat, I would call fairly conservatively on the meat. And we eat a lot of eggs, which doesn't harm anybody. So I, I think maybe I'm justifying to myself, but um, we got a half a cow and a half a pig in the fall from a local farmer who treats them as I would want to be treated if I was a cow or a pig. Yep, we toured their farm. We toured their farm. They are out in nature at all times. They're not being, you know, kept up in a barn or fed antibiotics or, you know, eating grass and stuff, whatever pigs eat in the forest, all that stuff. I mean, it was just, it seemed really good. And so we wanted to support that kind of farmering. And also we wanted to eat that kind of meat. So I'm really happy that we're in a position where we can do that. We have the freezer space. We bought a freezer <laughs> to hold our half a cow and half a pig. Yep. And it's been awesome. It's been delicious. Okie doke. Brett says that uh, he could listen to me talk about my time in the video game industry for hours. Really enjoyed some of the stories in recent episodes about my time developing games. Would I ever consider a side podcast on that topic, even a one-off, a book, being a guest on a video game podcast? What are your thoughts? Or yeah, So, no, in all honesty, I don't really think about that. And uh, my, my memories, my recollections of all that stuff is pretty dim. Um, I, I feel like... I, I I've forgotten way more than I remember. So I mean, while there's tons of good stories, I I, I wouldn't want to be misleading. I think I've only got a handful. You probably heard most of my good A material at this point. <laughs> uh, it would probably make more sense if I were sitting around with my former coworkers, because then you know, we could reminisce together. Yeah, and spark a bunch of memories. Exactly. Um, you know, plus we'd remember things differently and all that. I think that'd be more interesting. But no, I'm 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 it's that's all behind me. So. Uh, and it was a long time ago. Yeah. Would I consider being a guest on a video game podcast? I used to. I've done that a couple times. Or actually, no. I've done several interviews about Siphon Filter. But um, even though I've recorded them, they just gone on ahead and transcribed them. There was one that was transcribed and translated into Russian recently and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not versed to it, but the starting this year, I've decided to start saying no when people ask me, Hey, could you come and do a guest spot on my podcast? Whatever it might be. Just because that takes so much time. And I'm trying to cut back. I'm trying to say no more than yes, basically. And so I'm sorry. That's probably not going to happen. But and quite frankly, if it did, you'd have to pay me at this point. I used to do a lot of this kind of stuff for free. And she's like, oh, it's hard work. And I got to get paid because it's expensive living here in America with your mom. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. What are my thoughts about the recent called unionized video game development? I have no thoughts. Other than to say that's great, I am a big proponent of unions. Uh, worker power, unite. You know, Even though I probably spent most of my time in the career on the other side, on the management side, and I'm sure unions would just be a royal pain in my ass, I would still wholeheartedly support them because I always felt as a manager, I was the guy on, you know, in the, uh, the star chamber doing his best to fight for you know, the, the rank-and-file employees and get them more benefits and get them more time off and, and try to get us smarter contracts that didn't require us to work as long and as hard and as stupidly. So, yeah, I'm all for it. 
I mean, but heck, that's no surprise. My grandfather was a, a labor, labor organizer for uh, migrant farm workers, you know, in the uh, 50s and 60s. So, yeah, it's kind of in my blood. I'm pro-union all the way. Okay. Last one, honey pie. Okay. How have we been adjusting to real winter after having spent so many years in Malta? Oh. I and, think- in fact, are we... Maybe even liking the colder weather as a change of pace, or we found ourselves longing for Malta's mild winter months. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, actually, we've had a very soft landing, I would say, in Washington State. It was a long autumn. It's been a very mild winter. Uh, so I think, I don't know, maybe it was the United States welcoming us back as gently as possible. Uh, so I would say we haven't had any problems at all with the winter. We've had, actually, this last week has been the coldest it's been so far, down to about 24 in the mornings. So that's a little nippy, but just a cold spell going through. I don't know. I don't mind. I don't I, mind it. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of bummed. I want to see more snow. Yeah, we've I had mean, a couple of good snowy days, but they, yeah. it's all melted quickly. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Do you dislike super crazy cold weather? No. Yeah, as long as we can stay warm inside. Yeah, it's I a think... nice contrast to be able to go outside and oh, got to get bundled up. <laughs> yeah, I think I was more concerned about gray, endlessly gray days. Yeah, and we've had a few of those where it's been gray and rainy and drizzly and stuff. But I've just enjoyed being inside playing games with the Mister. Yep, 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 yep. Okie doke. Last one, honey pie. Yes. Words of wisdom time. Oh, you told me to get that ready. Yep, and you've had all this time to prepare. You've had a laptop in front of you this whole time. My lap has been held up by Daisy. All righty. Let's see. While Jen tries to figure out what her wisdom of the month is, I can talk more about comic books, but I think probably most people have had enough of that business. Yeah, I'm just, I'm getting on to Pinterest. To To the Pinterest! My board of grins and... um, Let's see. She's skipping the textiles. All right, she went straight to thoughts and grins. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, Well, let's just do this. It's a terrible thing, I think, in life to wait until you are ready. I have this feeling now that no one is ever ready to do anything. There is almost no such thing as ready. There is only now. Okay. Well, there's a call to action if ever I heard one to send more questions in the questions at rotto.com. Yeah. Because we're not ready at all, (laughs) as has been evidenced by this most recent blathering that we've just done. (laughs) There's only now. I looked that up really quickly. All right, good job, honey pie. Yes, I mean, you were in the now. You weren't ready at all. But there was no ready. But that's okay. I, I prepped. There you go. A few weeks ago when I saw yeah. that quote. What is, let's see. So Jen, in Pinterest, she has her categorization oh. for folks who are interesting, who are interested. Right, she's got fence decor, <laughs> read later, nature, cool design stuff, doggers, textiles, garden projects, jewelry tips and display, caretaking, visits, cluckers, thoughts and grins, which is what, you know, that's where she puts all her deep thoughts, food and recipes, hydro aquaponics, glass lovelies, glass secrets, do I need this, nice home (laughs) ideas, silver glass, Z and Z. That's Zane and Zoe. Zane and Zoe. Uh, Your Pinterest likes clay, clothes, Astrid Riddell, and powder drawing. So, uh, that's how Jen does it, Henrik. She just goes into the thoughts and grins. Uh, because you're just, anytime you see one of these things randomly, you just, you've got like that one, you just save it? Yep. 
All right. I pin it. You pin it? All right. Well, we are done, folks, once again. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back in roughly a month's time. And have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.